One of the interesting things about this moment is that people are like, we're starting a movement. And I'm like, no, you're joining a movement. Before the Me Too hashtag, before hashtags period, even before Twitter's first birthday, Tarana Burke started a campaign to break the silence between survivors of sexual assault. This activist has been working for over a decade. And just now we're coming to learn about her and her movement. Here is Tarana Burke. Tarana's movement has been alive for over a decade, but her social justice work began years before Me Too. I am a typical black girl from the Bronx. I came from a family that was, at least my grandfather in particular, my mother were very political, and I've read a lot. Toni Morrison, Maya Angelou, Zora Neale Hurston. In some ways, those books raised me. I read those books probably earlier than most people, like 11, 12, 13 years old. And then I became an organizer at 14. I fell in love with the 21st Century Youth Leadership Movement, which was an organization dedicated to training young people to carry on the legacy of the Civil Rights and Black Power Movement. And so I was trained as an organizer at 14, and it's been my lifeblood ever since. Tarana continued to work with 21st Century Youth Summer Leadership. When she became a leader within the organization at 22, she was training and mentoring students of her own. I was actually the camp director for uh, summer leadership camps. There was a young girl, Heaven, who had become just my little special. What happens often is that some of the young people shared their experiences with sexual violence, and she started to share hers, but didn't, didn't share the entire story. And then, like, the next day following the session, she started following me, just, I need to talk to you, Mr. Ron, I need to talk to you. And I knew from her eyes, I knew from her body language, I just knew. I think there's sometimes a way that survivors can sense that in other survivors. I knew she wanted to share that part of her story with me. And you know, I was the little tough girl, and I was the one who got in trouble a lot, and I was the one who had a smart mouth. But at the time in my life, I was 22, and I just, I had not really dealt with processing my own pain and my own experience with sexual violence, and I was still just finding language to describe what happened to me, and I could not hold space for her. She had found the courage to be vulnerable, and I couldn't find the courage to at least say, me too. It was in that moment that the Me Too movement was born. And 10 years after finding her own courage, Tarana created Just Be Inc., a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping victims of sexual assault. Tarana's told that story many times since the hashtag Me Too went viral. In that time, she's been named one of Time Magazine's People of the Year, attended the Golden Globe Awards, and spread the word about Me Too in countless interviews. This hashtag explosion has completely changed um, my life and probably the trajectory of my work. We introduced it in 2006, 2007, um, our early days with the internet were on MySpace, and we interacted with a lot of black women. As a matter of fact, it was black women, as usual, who um, really got us started in those early days. There was not large mainstream support of the idea of Me Too until recently. Hashtag resistance is interesting, right? It's a new phenomenon, obviously, and um, I'm an old organizer. <laughs> so 
It's easy to be swept up in the hype and the numbers, but what we represent here today is a reminder, a living, breathing reminder that we are human beings, not hashtags. I think that for hashtag resistance to be effective, it has to have a component of it that comes off of the computer and into the streets. We have, you know, 12 million engagements with this, or more than that, across social media, which means that you have millions and millions of people who have disclosed their experience with sexual violence. When this hashtag dies down or goes away or the news cycle changes, something has to happen. There has to be some container to process that. Um, there has to be some tools that we put out that help people think about what that means, what happens next in their own lives. Tools like wraparound services and schools for survivors of sexual assault, or a say no to drug style curriculum to teach students about consent, in addition to new policies and renewed community action. The idea behind Me Too and the idea of empowerment through empathy are just entry points into the healing journey. We need to reshape the conversation in some ways or expand the conversation beyond individuals, right? It's Harvey Weinstein, it's Bill Cosby, it's Bill O'Reilly, and it's all these like big bad men who did these big bad things, as opposed to the systems that are in place that allow sexual violence to flourish. Like we have to have conversations about what dismantling those systems look like, and beyond conversations, there needs to be community action in place to help start interrupting and dismantling those systems. That's my work. If I never did another TV interview or radio interview or saw another hashtag, I'd be in these streets. So this is the final section. Okay. Intersectionality. Oh, jeez. <laughs> We're going to talk about white women. <laughs> yeah, um, so. so historically in movements, um, there's been a dichotomy between white women and women of color. I've said many times that sexual violence knows no race or class or gender, um, but the response to sexual violence does. We know that black women are not believed, right? We know that black women have been highly sexualized in both pop culture, politically, uh, from welfare queens to thoughts. Like, there's just a, a, a running theme of, of black women being sexual, hypersexual beings. Um, and we also know historically that black women haven't been protected in the mainstream when it comes to sexual violence. And I think about Harvey Weinstein singling out Lupita. I think about Leslie Jones who was attacked on social media and how there was not a groundswell of support for her from across the board, from white women in America. And I think about R. Kelly and how he's still allowed to thrive in the music industry after terrorizing, victimizing, uh, dehumanizing black girls for more than 20 years. Mark Anthony Neal said this in, in an article, any one of his victims had been a white girl, just one it would be a whole different conversation. Stats from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention show that women of color experience higher rates of sexual violence. Women with lower incomes and trans women experience some of the highest rates of sexual violence. And for Tarana Burke, it's crucial that these voices take center stage. We can march and we can make our own voices heard but if we are not centering and elevating the voices often drowned out, meaning black folks and brown folks and native folks and Asian folks and queer folks and trans folks and disabled folks, then our work will ring hollow. 
what we know from our history is that we always have to make space for ourselves. We have to create spaces for ourselves. And I think this is no different. I will continue to make spaces and bring us into every room I come in and make sure that the most marginalized voices are included. My hope is that people can see that this is not a moment to exclude people. This is not a moment to start picking and choosing like who can and can't have this healing and who can and cannot be a part of this, um, this movement. And I think as we continue to do this work, people on both sides will see that every single voice for an issue like this is extremely important. We have kicked in the door and now it's time to tear down the house brick by brick. If you are ready, let me hear you say, me too. 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 Thank you.